0: Welcome to The Summit Club, a weekly podcast series where I uncover the stories, the strategies, the pain and the elation behind the most highly performant people on earth. summit club is based on one simple idea that in the climb of life there is no summit join me as we interview the very best performers across all human endeavors as we uncover the tools and templates that they use to maximize their potential in their efforts to get to the summit My first guest on the Summit Club podcast has been very carefully selected. Vincent Schnabel is a mountaineer, a skier and an adventure photographer out of Revelstoke, British Columbia in Canada. He was born in Namibia in 1991 to German and Austrian parents, where he picked up his love for the outside, everything nature, skiing, mountaineering and adventure. Vincent's been a photographer for the last 10 years, documenting some of the most majestic and beautiful landscapes that I've seen. If you want to check out his art, all of his links are going to be down below in the description. I hope you enjoy this very first episode of The Summit Club. Vincent, welcome to The Summit Club.
1: Hey Tom, thanks for having me man.
0: <laughs> Amazing to have you and paint the picture for us at the moment. So you are currently on the East Coast, are you Canada or are you in America right now?
1: Yeah, currently on the East Coast. i um, been traveling around Canada um, with my partner, my girlfriend, we live in uh, in a, what, 20-foot travel trailer with our, we tow it behind our Toyota Land Cruiser and we've traveled all around BC. Um, We have started out in Revelstoke, then kinda went south, did some um, climbing there. And then we went um, east through the Rockies, back through Revelstoke, down to um, the west coast, like Vancouver, Squamish area, and then across to the island. Then we took a ferry all the way up north to Prince Rupert, um, and yeah, then we explored um, Northern BC for a while, then back down and through the Rockies, and kind of made our way out east to Nova Scotia, where we are now.
0: What's the longest you've stayed put in one location? Because it sounds like you are all over the place all the time.
1: <laughs> um, always on the move. Yeah. Um, what is the longest we stayed? Sometimes, like two weeks, we'll stay somewhere for like two weeks, and that's pretty long. This will probably like at my parents' house here um and around nova scotia will probably be the longest it'll be like three weeks or so and then yeah
0: and you're 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 ready to get out there right you're you're itching to get out get out on the move where's next where are you heading next
1: um next um we are we're actually moving to golden for the winter which is like an hour and a half away from revelstoke it's just on the other side of this mountain pass called rogers rogers pass and it's kind of in between Rocky Mountains and then um, the Selkirk Mountains there
0: but yeah nice yeah I'm familiar with Rogers Pass I think one of your one of your landscapes is one of um, one of Rogers Pass where there's like an avalanche area like a super super dangerous avalanche risk area is that right
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah nice and you Um, grew up in Revelstoke
1: no I actually grew up um, in a little town called Chase it's like About an hour and a half from Revelstoke, but um, I did go to Revelstoke as a kid sometimes because I ski raced um, growing up as well, and we went there for some ski races and competitions there. And just it was like back then it was this tiny little mountain. It had one chairlift, and it only went up to like where mid mountain is now. And um, yeah, it was (laughs) very different back then.
0: Nice. Have you are you into any of like the ski films, like the classic ski films, like the Warren Miller type stuff? You. familiar with those what those films
1: yeah definitely grew up watching some of the warren miller stuff um i kind of forget the names now (laughs) i did we did go to watch some of those premier and stuff and then um um nowadays i watch a lot of like matchstick productions and um, tetan gravity and stuff like that they kind of dominate that
0: incredible yeah my favorite was cold fusion growing up that was the the one thing that got me like Completely hooked on skiing and everything mountain-based. I was like, "God damn!" Like Glen Plake, absolute icon with the mohawk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Super cool. Let's let's take it right back to the beginning, though. So you actually weren't raised in British Columbia. You were born in you were born in Namibia, right?
1: Right. That's right.
0: Yeah. And how how old were you? How old were you when you when you left Namibia? Was this like your entire childhood, or was that just a few years? Oh no, it was (laughs) it was like
1: months actually. So. At the time, my parents were working, Uh, my mom was working in Namibia and and my dad was um, just working random jobs down there. And she used to be a goldsmith and she was working down there. And yeah, they had me in their time down there. I think they were down there for like two and a half years or so. And um, then they had me. And then shortly after they left, I was um, three months old and we hopped on a plane and went back to Germany and, I, I lived in Germany until I was about four years old, and then uh, we moved to Canada, and that's where I've kind of been based ever since.
0: It sounds like you were like predetermined to always be moving around, like always traveling. So <laughs> <laughs> you didn't, yeah, not not yeah. used to staying in the same place.
1: Yeah, definitely yeah. have like a bit of a travel bug and itch, and you know, always like to be out doing something on the move, or you know, yeah.
0: For sure, when when you were super young. Like you say that you credit your parents with kind of instilling you with this, this feeling that you wanted to be surrounded by nature or be within nature and your kind of love for nature. Was that just the case of you were, you were around it, you were around in like BC, you were just surrounded by like all of this, all of this glory. Or was there, were there any specific like kind of moments or stories that you remember like the, you, you were like, okay, this is, this is where I want to be. This is kind of maybe what I want to do. You were a ski racer. Mm-hmm. How how old were you when you started that? Um, yeah, that's a good question because
1: growing up, I was always like surrounded by nature. Like I grew up basically on a little farm, like hobby farm, I would call it. We had like horses and and goats and chickens and stuff like that, but just for our own our own um, personal use. And yeah, I was like out in the middle of nowhere. You know, the closest town of, <laughs> of three thousand people was like. 20 kilometers away, um, and it was just like fields and forest and stuff like that. So I was kind of like grew up in it, and then um, my mom, you know, loves nature, and we would go hiking and sometimes um, like backcountry camping and kayaking and stuff like that. So I've just always kind of naturally done that. And, um, but ski racing, like I started to ski when I was four years old, so pretty early. Um, And then the racing came a little bit later. I don't know how old I would have been, maybe 10 or so. But um, I did ski racing until I was, I only did that until I was a teenager. And then it was kind of like between that and track and field for me because I couldn't do both. And um, at the time, I decided to pursue track and field. And that was kind of like my main thing. Yeah.
0: I I mean, I I guess from German and Austrian parents, were they like, with you know, were they raised in the mountains? Were they, did they, is that where that came from? Or or where is that not the case?
1: Yeah. So my dad's Austrian and he grew up like skiing and um, they did like some mountain biking way back in the day when it was like first coming out, that kind of thing. Um, and then my mom, so my grandpa, her dad, he's like super adventurous, this adventure guy. And, um, you know, him and, him and some buddies of his in his in the 60s um he would have been like yeah late 20s maybe early 30s and they actually took some volkswagen buses from germany all the way to afghanistan and summited some mountains there for the first time and he went up to trips in the yukon and um one time he took my mom with her she was like 16 and they went on these kayaking trips and stuff like that so it's kind yeah. of like, I guess it's kind of in the blood almost. Yeah. Clearly
0: it's in the blood. Yeah. It's in the, blood, it's in the <laughs>
1: genetics. Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, I kind of want to ask some, ask some questions more specifically around your experience, like being in the mountains and kind of uh seeing what nature and like this earth has from like a beauty uh, perspective. So obviously the mountains, they are like stunning. They're beautiful. They're breathtaking. They, they could be awe inspiring, especially when I see your photos, but, like conversely they can be ruthless like unforgiving and uh deadly um have you ever experienced any like super scary moments or kind of like any any moments in the mountains where you felt like you know you're putting yourself in a situation where this was getting close and uh yeah maybe you weren't weren't too sure if you're gonna get out of it alive yeah um
1: knock on wood, I've been fairly lucky, um, but, you know, there's always that risk involved, especially skiing, like, there's rarely any time, if you want to have fun, (laughs) that you're not traveling through avalanche terrain, um, I think these days it is a little bit easier to get into because there's a lot of guidebooks out there. There's a lot of knowledge like avalanche.ca um, is a great resource and people submit reports on what the snow conditions are like and stuff like that. And there's all these avalanche safety training courses available. Um, that being said, you know, the riskier you go and the, the bigger lines you do skiing and stuff like that, you're just gonna accept a higher risk with that. And there's been times like there was, we went out to do this one that's in the past, it's called, um copper north couloir and and the top of this thing is like you know 50 degrees and it's like the whole ski tour is like 25 kilometers round trip so it's pretty far out there and not that many people go out and do this and um yeah we went up there and it was pretty good you know you're we, you get to Copper Mountain and then you have to boot pack up this slope and then you get to the top and it's the snow is kind of powdery falling away and you can't get a footing and you're in there with your ice axe and stuff and kind of we were we were attached by rope going up there um, and yeah you, you, we had to traverse under this cornice to get to the summit and then you know from everyone I've talked to has been out there and from the guidebook and stuff it says like it specifically says don't go right whatever you do don't go right <laughs> we're like we were looking over and we're like, Man, like i don't know like this looks like a big cornice to the left here and we're like it has to be like down there it's like right so we kind of um we had my buddy on belay on the rope and he did a big cut with a snowboard and went down and tucked around this rock face and it goes down and around and we're like okay it just has to be like right down there so yeah, he goes and then there's three of us and then I go and then my buddy follows and um I followed him first and he had cut below the rock where I couldn't see him and he actually triggered like a decent size one and a half like avalanche. But he didn't get caught or anything. It just it went down further and there was like this kind of plateau and it just went didn't run that far. Luckily it went there and but he was okay and he just kinda called out and was like, I'm a good, it's all good and we kind of followed him, but the entrance to the cooler wasn't there. <laughs> so we're like, shit, like, what do we do now? And it's kind of like a moment like, okay, we'll try to like check out this other place. And uh, um, just like a little further up, there's like another rock outcrop and we're like, it has to be here, like according to the map. And if we try that, like, and it's not there, we're probably gonna have to call search and rescue <laughs> and get out of here. And um, luckily it was, you know, we boot like, and at that moment, like you're kind of panicked because if you've seen pictures of the face we we're on from the other side, like below you, just where that avalanche had gone off, like just a little further down, there's this three hundred foot cliff <laughs> at the bottom of that. So you don't definitely don't want to go any further that way. But yeah, luckily, you know, we boot packed up, and my buddy is like, okay, we found it, it's all good, and then you know, turned out. And then there's a huge, you know, huge relief when you when you're actually in the objective. Yeah, um,
0: and you, yeah, yeah. I mean, I can only imagine I've been in some like some slightly like scary situations when uh, I've like for whatever reason I've been caught out on my own um on a mountain, like weather has all of a sudden just dropped and visibility is like can't even see your own foot. You can't see your own ski, yeah, you can't yeah. see your own foot. And it's the this like sudden moment where you're you're feeling like you, you can't feel anything because you literally can't see anything feel like you're floating and uh obviously it's like windy you've got wind coming at whipping at you like 100 miles an hour you don't know which direction is which and there's this kind of like moment where there's this stillness where you're like well i i mean this is the way i felt i was like well i might die here but i could just keep on moving forward i could just keep on moving like as in like remembering what it feels to move forward because i couldn't even if you take a step you had no reference point, So you couldn't even know if that was a step forward. You just were like, okay, I'm just going to try and move. Like my brain remembers how to move. And um, that's the best I can do because I know that if I stay out here, I'm going to, I'm probably going to die. So I need to at least keep moving forward. But with yourself, when you're in, um, I'm guessing the weather probably was not too bad or like that, that, that that
1: was, it was fine that day. Uh, You know, we had visibility and that kind of stuff. Yeah.
0: And yeah. and you're surrounded, you have some like, you've got some teammates, you've got some people that are also probably quite skilled mountaineers. Um, but do you think there's a part of it which is like, especially with that advent like adventuring and um, adventure mountaineering, there's an element to you kind of like those situations where there's some jeopardy, there's some, there's potentially shit that could, could go wrong. And it's like, how close can I get? But then in those circumstances, when you are together, I don't know if you you felt this, but you kind of, ha- I, I felt like you have a, like a tunnel vision where you kind of mm-hmm. get hyper focused and yeah. you, you know that you have to perform on all levels to be able to get yourself out of it. It's like survival mode. That's what survival yeah. mode is, right? Yeah. Have you guessing you felt that in that situation?
1: Yeah. Well, you're basically like, you know, in the zone and anytime I, drop into something where there's a chance of an avalanche or something happening like that you know you just it's like ultimate focus and everything else kind of all the bullshit fades away and you're just like focused on that task in that moment and yeah you just gotta it's what you gotta do you know <laughs> yeah it's uh,
0: a again it's not one of those things that you want to feel too often but but yeah you know, it's
1: it
0: it, it kind of like feel bittersweet because right?
1: it yeah it feels like you feel alive but you know yeah yeah. And I think that's like the feeling a lot of people chase, you know, people who are mountaineers or, um, you know, ski tours and that kind of thing, you know, you kind of chase that feeling a little bit.
0: Do you think that there are, are you ever with people who you, it's very clear that they chase it more than you like that, you know, you've got friends, you've got colleagues that they, they, you know, they always kind of want to test the, test the boundaries of like what's like safe, uh, but also what's fun. Um, do you have those friends that you hang out with?
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd kind of classify s- myself somewhere in the middle. Like I like to push it to a certain degree and I don't do it like every time a lot of my ski touring, you know, you're still doing like gnarly fun stuff, but a lot of it's relatively safe, <laughs> so to speak. But, you know, I do have some buddies out there who are pushing it a little harder and, you know, that envelope, you're getting closer and closer. So, um, but you know, I do that too sometimes, but it's not, it's not all the time. And there's a few people I know who are like, yeah, that's what they're chasing for sure.
0: So when people ask you what you do, you are a mountaineer, you're a photographer, like to some, to some extent you're an adventurer, you're always in different places. You're also a skier. Do you just, uh, some people ask you, do you just, just say all those things? Or is there like one thing that you, if someone was to say, Vincent, he's, he is amazing at this. Like, what would you say it would be? <laughs> um,
1: I like whenever people ask me what I do, I tell them I'm a photographer. That's okay. that's what I tell them. Yeah. Um, you know, I that's I love skiing, and I think that'll always be my main passion. But also love photography, and that kind of goes hand in hand for me. And um, you know, my camera comes with me everywhere I go. And obviously, I don't get to ski half the year because <laughs> I'm not down that well I could I mean but I'm not I'm not chasing snow down in Chile or anything like that in the summer so um yeah no I like both seasons but um I do photography year-round like whether it's for myself or whether it's for work I just I do that um
0: yeah well tell, tell me a little bit about how you got into photography so when do you remember was this like a you got given a camera at some point or was this iPhone stuff and then you 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 then migrated like you evolved up to DSLR or was it, what was your journey with photography?
1: Yeah. So for my journey, you'd probably have to go way back. You know, I like, like we've said, sports was my whole life for so long. And um, I actually pursued track and field until my early twenties. And I was on, you know, I was going to national Canadian national champions, that kind of stuff. And um, I medaled there twice. And then I was kind of chasing this dream of becoming an Olympic athlete. Um, javelin was my main event. Wow. And, you know, I just sustained several injuries, stuff like that. I was just in university because of the sports and didn't really, you know, and then kind of one thing led to another kind of fell out of the love for the sport and um, no longer had the dedication. And yeah, I ended up dropping out of school, not knowing what to do and, ended up like bartending falling into the partying scene a bit and you know that only lasted so long you know it was a lot of fun I was young and um but eventually you know you you don't really have it you feel that you've got this loss of purpose and this thing I've been chasing is gone so um yeah I kind of picked up and started over and um ended up moving back in with my parents and looking for a job or what to do with my life and Um, I always loved skiing growing up, loved being outside, and I moved to Revelstoke, and um, that winter really changed things for me. Um, I had a hospitality job there as well, but I went out and skied like 100 days that year at the resort, and started dabbling in the backcountry, and um, made a ton of good friends like from all over the world, Australia, Europe, and, and yeah, and then I would just start taking my phone with me, and taking photos, and um loved doing that then wasn't really pursuing photography yet and then the following summer I moved to Lake Louise in the Rockies you know beautiful classic (laughs) place um and then one day I went out with um a buddy of mine and he had a camera he was like actually he did I think he had done like skateboard photography or something like that in the past and I was serving with him there and working and he let me borrow his camera and Kind of play around with it and try it and um yeah ever since then i kind of became a little bit obsessed with it and um went out the following week and bought my own camera i had all this tip money i remember i had it in this toolbox in the back of my <laughs> beat up old car and drove to best buy and bought my first camera and um yeah that's what i spent my time doing in Lake Louise and the rockies and taking photos and learning all the different things and just kind of self-taught with youtube and um yeah that's kind of where it all started for me and you know it's come and gone throughout the years like I've done other career paths like to make a living photography was always kind of this side hobby or creative outlet for me but um kind of just stuck with me over um the years and I've just always loved doing it
0: Well, for the for the collect camera dorks out there can you uh can you remember what your first camera was
1: yeah, yeah. It was a Nikon um, D5300, the basic kind of beginner DSLR with a kit, lim- 18 to 55 millimeter kit lens, And that's what I started with. And in the beginning, I thought it was like, you know, I was taking good, nice photos, but um, I thought I could take better photos if I had better gear. So I started reviewing all the, all the camera gear and eventually whenever i had money i would upgrade gear and stuff like that and you know a, a good photographer can take a great photo with any camera <laughs> but um except you know certain things do matter of course like low light performance or
0: um yeah all the diff- you know better lenses stuff like that for sure i mean wh- where are you at now with your camera setup like again for the for the camera folks out there what are you what's your kind of like go to shooter um obviously you'll like switch up lenses and stuff but what like for people who are really looking to understand like what it takes from a kit equipment perspective to take the types of shots that you're doing um Mm -hmm. obviously there's all your experience and your years of experience but what's the equipment you're using
1: so right now i have a nikon d 850 which is like a full frame camera body um i've had it for a while i actually used to have a sony um, And I like that too. It was like a lot lighter to take around a mirrorless, but, um, I don't know. I don't know. why like part of it was because I could afford better glass with a Nikon and the Sony glass is so expensive at the time. And, um, but anyways, yeah, I've got a Nikon DSLR and it's a little heavier. I don't mind carrying the weight around and I have four main lenses I use I've got like focal lengths all the way from 14 millimeters to 500 millimeters for some of those like long-range mountain shots or ski shots and stuff like that and generally yeah you know like it's a bit of a struggle carrying it around sometimes um so I try to pick and choose which lenses I take for certain occasions but usually I'll carry around uh, the body with uh a 14 to 24 millimeter lens, a 24 to 70 millimeter lens and a uh, 70 to 200 millimeter lens. And that's kind of what I carry around with me everywhere. And it's you know, an extra 10, 15 pounds in your bag. <laughs> but,
0: <laughs> well, I noticed uh, on one of your Instagram posts, you posted about how your uh, summer's coming to an end and like working in summer, like photography in summer or just life in summer is easier um, mm-hmm. than, than in winter. And obviously that can that like is especially the case when it comes to photography um what are some of the like specific challenges that you face with regards to your photography when you're out in in the in super cold super cold like hostile environments
1: yeah um part of it's probably just me being cheap with gear (laughs) no but it's um my fingers get really cold sometimes you know sometimes it's like minus 30 with the wind chill up there in the mountains and the wind's blowing and you're trying to get a shot and you know you just want to have your fingers out for as little time as possible because they just they're freezing and then they get that like screaming barfy's pain where it hurts so bad you just got to wait for them to warm back up um but over the years I've gotten like bigger mitts that I take with me and um hand like these hand warmers that can that you can um reuse and stuff like that yeah that's kind of the biggest challenge is the cold I would say when it when it's really cold um also you know the snow like when you're changing lenses you want to be careful not to get snow in there because you get spots on your sensor and stuff like that um and when you're up in close personal with like like taking like power shots and you have somebody cruise by like real close to you and you just like pull away last second because your gear gets covered in snow. And (laughs) I mean, the camera, (laughs) the cameras are pretty good because they're pretty wet weather sealed. Um, Yeah. But you know, you got to dry it off and bring um, cloths with you and stuff like that.
0: Are you So you're saying in those like epic deep powder shots where you've got skiers and boarders coming down the cameraman right at the last second, obviously after, after the edit's gone, he's like, quickly whipping around <laughs> to make sure it doesn't get sprayed is that, the, yeah, is that yeah. the trade trade secret
1: it depends like sometimes you'll be shooting from far away with a zoom with a zoom lens and then it's not that big of a deal but sometimes i like to get like a foreground or a background with something and then yeah then i'm doing that like
0: like click click and then like last second like turn away <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Are you, um, do you work with, do you work with any athletes? Do you do any kind of like sponsored um kind of work or uh, commission-based work on like, is that, is that part of your photography or you tend to be like kind of solo stuff?
1: Um, it's a lot of solo stuff, a lot of stuff with my friends, but um, I have gone out and shot with some athletes who are in the free ride world tour and stuff like that. and um, A couple of, I, don't know if, I guess you would call them pro skiers. Yeah. Because I mean, obviously they're in the freeride world tour. so I consider that to be a pro skier. But um, yeah, sometimes I'll go out. I'll message people on Instagram or whatever it is, and you know they're always keen to get out. But I haven't done that much of that. Like it's mostly on my own. But this year, this winter, I actually want to do some more reaching out. And um, there's actually some people in the NFT space. Like um, I don't know if you know Chris Shetler. He
0: yeah yeah he's yeah, like course, actually I big
1: is. in the NFTs and he I, I does didn't know that art. I
0: didn't know that yeah
1: yeah no he is. Um, but mostly for his art like he designs like all the art for the skis right and, and yeah and that so um I've been messaging with him a little bit on and like i like yeah we should go out and shoot this winter or whatever so he might be down for that Well, that's kind of cool
0: so, so funny because my follow-up question was going to be have you ever skied with or give a shout out to any of the best kind of skiers that you skied with and um if you if you haven't yet skied with Chris Benchatler, then um once you do i expect he's probably going to be like pretty high on the list of uh of skiers that you've skied with
1: yeah yeah um yeah and like the one guy i skied with for the free road world tour um his name's yusasaki he's japanese and he's like he sends it huge like i went went shooting with him and you'd like post up and you think you're gonna get a shot there but he just sends it so much bigger than you think he's gonna send it <laughs> he's just yeah. Past you. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah he is he's pretty cool um he's up there for sure and um yeah, i don't know i've gone you know there's a few people in revelstoke um went out with dane tudor once he's a pro skier and um yeah he's based out of Roseland, and um yeah. And then like other people are kind of just like close on the border line of being pro or semi-pro or whatever.
0: Yeah. yeah. Tell, tell us a little bit about some of the like favorite locations and places that you've been. Cause you've obviously been um, like all over the world and seen some in- incredible places, but are there any, any, the any places where you've kind of left and you've almost felt like that place now owns a part of you or part of your like soul? Like it's so memorable it feels like you 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 know you, it, you left a part of you there you ever had that experience anywhere
1: yeah for sure I mean Revelstoke being a big one um before that I was always kind of transient um but I you know I lived there for the better part of 10, 10 years and sure I traveled places from there and um but it was always home base and you come back and it just feels like home. You know, you've got good friends there that you trust, adventure buddies, Um, Rogers Pass is just like ski paradise. And they do like, they film a lot of ski movies too in in Revelstoke. And this is definitely a part of me that'll always be there. Uh, Love it there. Also Japan. You know, and that's where I met my current girlfriend, actually, as well. So that's kind of another thing that ties me to there. But Japan is just, like, incredible snow. It's so light and fluffy, and they get so much of it. Although, you know, their terrain's not quite the same as North America, but it's still pretty epic. And you're skiing on volcanoes a lot.
0: When were you in Japan? Uh, I
1: think it's five and a half years ago or so
0: now. Yeah. Where, where were you staying? Where were you living?
1: I was in the and up in uh, Hokkaido. So it's like the Northern Island. Yeah.
0: And yeah, renowned, renowned in the kind of like ski industry, and the snow industry is having just like the, the deepest, fluffiest, always snowing, relatively poor visibility most of the time. Um, and, uh, yeah, but just renowned for like the neck deep pow, um, yeah obviously clearly that was like must have been heaven for you
1: yeah yeah it's it's all true (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah no it was really cool actually because i i was on a working holiday visa there and i worked at this like little you know naseko is not that bad to travel to as a westerner because it's so westernized there and there's a lot of australian influence and a lot of english-speaking people who travel and work there and do ski holidays um, but I worked at this one little bar that was still kind of owned by locals and, you know, it was called Bar Baramba and it, it's like this old, dank kind of um, um, car garage, I think it was what it used to be, but you kind of had to like crouch down and go under to get in the door and um, the bar, you know, it was Japanese-speaking owner, so we kind of didn't communicate all that well all the time. But you know, he's super funny guy, super nice guy, and he actually let me stay there for free. But my accommodation was like this, this like, curtained-off area behind the bar, and you had to crawl even further down, and it was like <laughs> this six-by-six <by> six plywood <laughs> door and yeah i could like i had to like sit like this on my bed and that's all i had was like a bed and this little tiny room and yeah but he let me stay there for free and most people were paying like i think 700 us or something like that a month for wow. a bunk bed and yeah it was it's kind of cool
0: yeah what where about yeah. anywhere else on earth that like um do you you feel like connected to um you know, Europe,
1: Germany, of course, because that's where I'm from. Um, that's more, yeah, just family stuff. And then, yeah, like this was not ski related, but we did this trek through Nepal and um, wow. through the Himalayas there. And it was, uh, it was like close to 300 kilometers over 19 days, just through the mountains and over these mountain passes. And it, um it's, it's actually called the three pass trek and it meets up with um, Everest base camp and we went and did that too but yeah it was so beautiful there and the people were super nice and you know it's actually super cheap to travel there as well which is it's kind of nice too but um, yeah those mountains are so impressive
0: that was must obviously being like a bucket list item for you know people who are like mountaineers was there is there any part of you that's like, when you, I guess you got to Everest base camp and got to look up and was there any part of you, which was like, yeah, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe, one day. Yeah.
1: maybe one day. Yeah, for sure. Of course, you know, you look at it and you, you see it, but I don't know. I, I might, I think I'd rather do something not as popular if I'm going to do something like that. Cause now Everest is just known as being so commercial and so busy, but
0: When you when you say not as popular, do you just mean maybe more dangerous or more? (laughs) You get as in you now get you get more clout from because obviously now like Everest has become relatively sanitized because it's become super commercial and it's you know we see these photos every single climbing season where you have hundreds of people in a string going down from the summit like making their summit attempt and. So a lot of people, it's like, why was you know why why would you just want to be one other person just in a line? You just everyone's just going up, but obviously there's still huge amounts of risk. Still, people die every single season. But I, I definitely feel like there's the Everest has now lost its kind of like sheen of kind of mountaineering glory. There are people looking for other things. Um, there are ma- like many other mountains out there where people are looking to to you know try and conquer. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I guess there's probably that. You know you feel feel a bit of that you want to test yourself elsewhere
1: yeah yeah I think definitely a little bit of that like I like I kind of like getting more shots and um, going to areas that people don't see all the time and um, that definitely has a driving factor that being said you know like Everest is still Everest it's the biggest mountain in the world and it's uh yeah. and it's no joke you know, you 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 said it's still super risky. People die every year, and it's. I imagine it. You know, even at like fifty, eight hundred meters, what we got up to, you have to get really get used to the altitude. You're moving pretty slow um, for a while before you get acclimatized, and yeah, there's still uh, a lot of risk involved, right? So it's it's no yeah.
0: joke. How did you feel when you arrived at the base camp, and you you know, because obviously that's like that that whole area is just steeped in you know mountaineering history and so many people uh, all you know all of the most famous mountaineers would have you know trekked along that path that you tracked along how did that feel did it feel kind of like a you know kind of a bucket list tick box moment where you're like okay well wow this is one of the coolest things i'll do um how did, how did it feel when you got there
1: yeah of course you know it feels pretty cool but um we had started out the three passes so we'd already gone to hire and like across this mountain pass and you know it's like there's not nearly as many people there and as soon as you get to this Everest base camp trek it's just like (laughs) a row of people and you see helicopters flying in and out so that definitely ruins a bit of the magic um but no it's still a pretty special moment you know you you're there and you're like wow like and we had watched there's this, you know the conquest of Everest is the movie from like 1954 a year after it, i think it was summited 1953 19, yeah something like that but um and you know back then those guys were going into the true unknown you know and they there was no path set for them they didn't know if you could live at that altitude or yeah. what would happen yeah, and,
0: yeah and it's funny yeah seeing that figured they figured out that um yeah you basically die at that certain altitude it's like at some point they had to draw the line being like this is the uh this is the death zone where you no longer you no longer can survive Um,
1: yeah
0: yeah yeah that's have you ever been to alaska
1: i have yeah but i was pretty young at the time so um it's another place i'd love to go back you know obviously something like denali or Mount Logan's close to there in Canada. That's like the highest mountain in Canada. Yeah, something like that would be pretty cool. Um, also, just like the scenery out there and the heli skiing. You know, that's like the epic, the creme de la creme of skiing. So yeah,
0: some big, big, deep lines. What's um, what's next for you this winter? I know we talked at the beginning, but like, what is your plan for for this winter? It's now the end of September now. When do you start like preparing yourself for kind of going into like winter mode? Obviously you, you kind of travel kind of remotely, you have your own trailer. Um, mm-hmm. Are you going to be taking that? Is that, is that, do you still live out of that during the winter?
1: No, we're going to be, um, yeah, settled down at the end of October here in November in the rock, like in golden there. So it's, um, you know, as much as I, you know want to travel around in the winter and stuff living out of the trailer can be kind of miserable and um you know there's not that there's room in there but there's not that much and then your gear is always soaked and stuff like that I definitely like to be more based somewhere and then just do trips from there in the winter um that's kind of all the prepping I'll do and then you know ski season ski touring depends on the year it's um I've been out there in the beginning middle of October out ski touring in the mountains and then sometimes it doesn't start till later in November so it really all depends on how cold it is that year how much it snows early on and
0: yeah awesome tell me a little bit about your your kind of um I suppose your activity within the web3 space which is the the kind of next phase of technology you are one of the the kind of early entrance into selling your artwork via NFTs. How did you get into that? Like, uh, have you? What was your story getting into into selling your photography that way?
1: Hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, I wouldn't say I'm like an OG. I'm probably somewhere in the middle there too. Um, not like super behind the bus, but um, somewhere in the middle because, like, the people I kind of saw in the space back in the day, like they were there. A good few months before me, I'd say, and um, back then you didn't have Twitter Spaces or anything. Everyone was hanging out in clubhouse, kind of making those connections, and that definitely did pay off. I think dividends. Um, but no, I came, I would say, last August, so I've been in it over a year now, um, which is a very long time because some people are just coming in now. Um, but yeah, I just saw like you know some of the people on on Instagram posting stories about NFTs and you know like Casamard or Ben Strauss some big name, like big landscape photographers in the space composite photographers and you know you see them posting and you're like at first you're like holy shit you see like they sold this for how much like I could do that <laughs> so at first you know you kind of see green and you're like okay I want to go there too I want to make some money um, but then you get there and you realize like it's like a lot of work as well on top of that and it's not really about that either it's about creating an art and kind of bending the rules and um you know it's it kind of gives you a freedom in a way that we haven't had before because you can like make uh you know not everyone's going to make a a huge income but you can make like for myself anyways I can support the way I live and what I do with what I love to shoot and that's kind of unheard of before this because you're always doing what somebody else wants kind of for the most part um if you're on assignment or if you're if you're um shooting weddings or whatever to make money um
0: did you yeah did, did yeah. you go into this past season with a slightly different kind of mindset based on the fact that you had kind of entered uh, and you know entered that world of selling your art digitally had you did you go in with some ideas on like what you wanted to do perhaps like a level of output or how did you kind of frame that season knowing what you had just been doing in that the year before?
1: Um, Like, were my goals different, like this year from like, um, like did I base my photography around NFTs and that path? Did you,
0: did that, did that, the fact that you kind of had entered that, did that affect you the way that you looked at your photography as a, you know, whether it was, um a certain style or a certain um type that you wanted to create or a certain level of output that you wanted to create that you potentially knew you could monetize did it did it was that a thought or was it just not a thought at all you just went into the winter being like i'm gonna have a fun time skiing i'm gonna take a bunch of photos see what happens in like may and then like then go on from there
1: yeah no for for sure i think it did to some degree because you know, I do love landscapes as well. And um, like more like, like big foregrounds and like drawing you into the sea and big skies. I love stuff like that. And that's kind of like the first collections and stuff I minted in the NFT space. Because that's at the time, you know, what I saw selling, but I realized that way you're not really standing out because although I do have a particular style and it's kind of colorful and stuff like that, there's so many landscape photographers out there and there's not that many adventure photographers out there. Like, I know there's some for sure, but there's not many um, adventure photographers in the Web3 space, in my opinion. Um, Yeah, so the adventure stuff didn't really change because I've always been doing that and I love doing that. But the mountain stuff definitely was a collection I put together to kind of um, signify a style and a certain look for myself with my landscape stuff and my love of mountains. I already had a pretty big, um, like I had already enjoyed shooting mountains in that style before, and I had quite a few already that I went back and re edited and um, put together. And then I thought, you know, this could be something that really stands out, and that's. Um, you know, mine like me that is me. And um, then I just went out this summer and just slowly started collecting more mountain peaks and um, going out and shooting that, like focused on that. So um, as far as that collection goes, that was kind of definitely influenced by the Web3 space, Is this because I I just wanted this like cohesive collection that looks great and it's in my style and that's kind of what that is and then I consider my adventure photography is kind of like my true love and that's my my one of one more high ticket item pieces um and I don't need to like sell that right away or worry about you know pushing that as hard but that's just that's like what I love doing and what um yeah
0: yeah Awesome. If if people want to check out your collection, they can do it. Is it, um, it's called let's move mountains. Yeah. Yeah. Let's move mountains. And uh, it's available on foundation. Is that correct? That's on
1: foundation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So if they want to check you out, I would highly recommend going checking Vincent out on his Instagram page at the very, very least Um, has like genuinely some of the best, best photography, mountain photography I've seen. And like he said, quite limited adventure photography within the web three space, which is one of my special areas of interest. And so, yeah, if, um, is there any, any place else they can, they can check out your work? Or you, um, you post across any other channels or is that the main, the main place?
1: Um, yeah, no, you can find me, you know, obviously you can't really see a gallery on Twitter, but I'm on Twitter, Twitter, just Vincent Schnabel, Instagram, Vincent Schnabel. Um, I have a website too, Vincent Schnabel.com um and then yeah that's you know my nft collections on foundation of course and super rare as well and um yeah that's pretty much everywhere you'll find my work
0: awesome well dude i wanted to thank you so much for being the very first guest the very first (laughs) guest on the summit club i kind of had you in mind for quite a few months now. To, so when you said like, yeah, you you'd be up for it. Um, that made me very happy. So I couldn't think of a better guest to be the very first guest on the summit club podcast. And, um, hopefully I get to shred with you at some point in the future. I think that would be pretty cool. Um, yeah, sure. Meet you somewhere, um, you can show, show me, show me how to do it properly. Um, and <laughs> yeah, otherwise, um, I wish, wish you the very best and perhaps get you back on the podcast in, uh, some time in the future. Yeah, for sure, man. Any time, love to do it. Happy to. Awesome, dude. Wish you the very best for the for the winter. Have an amazing time, and uh, yeah, cheers for cheers for hanging with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Peace, man. <laughs> Peace. I hope you enjoyed that show. If you haven't already done so, hit the like button down below. Make sure to subscribe so that you can learn from the very best that I'm gonna be interviewing at the Summit Club. If you didn't know this already, I also have another podcast called The Unorthodox Podcast that I do with my co-founders, Liam and Mark over at Unorthodox. We're a Web3 marketing consultancy. If you wanna go check it out, it's quite a lot of fun. If you want to learn a bit more about crypto and everything Web3, that's the place to come check it out. We interview some of the most interesting people within Web3 and also executives across some of the biggest brands on the planet. Come and join us. The links are also gonna be down below in the description and I'll see you next time.